Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans 8.15. Romans 8.15. I'll never forget that day March 19th, 1998, Denise received a call from our lawyer at her school, and the lawyer said, come over to my house uh, and pick up Jillian. This is what adoptive parents call gotcha day. Gotcha day is right up there with birthdays. And so at 12 o'clock, Denise received that call. She was at school, and all the teachers got together and started putting a bunch of money together and gave us a gift. And right after school, we went to Toys R Us and bought all kinds of stuff for babies. And then at about 6 o'clock, we went to the lawyer's house and we got Jilly, put her in the car. It was raining, pouring down rain. I remember all these umbrellas trying to keep her dry. And then remember car seats. Oh my goodness. They are such a pain for the first time. And then when we got her home, we put together a crib, which took probably hours, you know, which is supposed to take 10 minutes. And then we used a baby monitor. First mistake as a parent. And this baby monitor kept us up all night long. Why? Because we were listening to Jilly breathe and not breathe as we imagined. So we'd run in there and check if she was breathing. But we didn't care because we had our first child. Besides, besides our first child, our 22-pound Italian cat. <laughs> then, on December 27, 2003, we received another call while we were celebrating Christmas in Florida. The call said, come back home because Emily is about to be born. So on January 1st, 2004, at 6.40 a.m. in Greenville, we received a call that Emily had arrived. And the glorious thing is that we got to be there on that day. Jillian, we were like three months later after she was born, but we got to take uh, pictures of Emily right after she was born. It was, it was glorious. And, and we took her home the next day. And our second gift from God had arrived. Now, I chose this sermon weeks ago, not thinking about Mother's Day. But I, I still remember mothers because you know what? I am so thankful for every mother here who...
who shows love, unconditional love daily to your kids. Um, but I'll never forget the first time Jill, at about 11 months, said, Dada. It was great. But you know what? She called Denise Dada. <laughs> she called the cat Dada. She called anything that moved Dada. But you know what? I knew deep in her heart that she knew who the real Dada was. And a few years later, you know, when Emily would come up and grab me and say, Daddy, and hug me, it reminds me of this verse. You know, it says, this is the Word of God. Romans 8, 15 says, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Now in the Ordo Salutis, the order of salvation, as it is logically presented in Scripture, adoption comes after justification. And the question I ask is why? Why? Now, for most of you, hopefully, if you've been in my discipleship class over the 24 years that I've taught here, I hope for most of you, you could stand up and recite the Ordo Salutis because you've heard it so often. But if you haven't heard it, let me, let me tell you what it is. It's the order of salvation as it's presented in the Scriptures logical order, not temporal order. And I'll, I'll give you that. You can write it down and I'll give you the scriptures. You can look it up when you get home. Ephesians 1.4, He chose us before the foundation of the earth and the first step of the order of Salutis is election. The next step is what God does to our heart in regeneration. John chapter 3, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, He says, you must be born again. You must be given a new heart. You must have a regenerate heart. And then we respond to what God does with conversion, which is faith and repentance. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. And then comes justification, in which God declares us forgiven and not guilty uh, because of the righteousness of Christ. And that's Romans 3, 24. And then comes adoption which we're going to talk about, Romans 8.15. And then sanctification, the process by which we become more and more every day like Christ. And finally, glorification when we enter heaven, 1 Corinthians 15. Now, why is adoption after justification? Because God has a problem because of our sin, he has to take care of the legal problem of our sin before he brings us into his family. And so justification is a legal term in which God declares us not guilty because of Christ's righteousness and because of his death for our sins. 
God takes the righteousness of Christ and puts it to our account, and he sees us as perfect and righteous and holy every second of every day after we are justified. And he also takes all of our sin, past, present, and future, and puts them on Christ so that he sees us as perfect and holy and sinless. And once this barrier of sin is removed between us and God, then the adoption process takes place. It, I've told you this before. It's, it's like the time I went to the judge, the only time I went to the judge for Jill, and we stood before the judge and all the legal ramifications took place. All the papers were signed. Everything was done. And then he looked at me and he said, and I wasn't ready for this, he said, why do you want to adopt this little girl? And I said, I didn't think you were going to ask any questions, right? But I looked at him and I said, because we love her. And that's exactly what happens here with adoption. The word adoption is used five times in the New Testament. It's used three times in the book of Romans. And it does not occur, this surprised me, it does not occur in the Old Testament because the Jewish people didn't practice adoption. So Paul takes this idea of adoption from Greek and Roman law. And this would make sense since three of the words adoption are used in the book of Romans uh, and so he would use this practice that is in their culture so that they would readily understand it. Now, some today look at adoption, especially in our country, as a second-class status in the family. But it wasn't so in Roman days. Um, one commentator says this about adoption. He says, in the Roman culture of Paul's day, an adoptive child, especially an adopted son, sometimes had greater prestige and privilege than the natural child. At the death of the father, a favored adopted child or son would sometimes inherit the father's title, the major part of the estate, and would be the primary progenitor of the family name. Because of its obvious great importance, the process of Roman adoption involved several carefully prescribed legal procedures. Now listen to this. This is, this is justification. It says this. The first step totally severed the boy's legal and social relationship with his natural family. The second step placed him permanently into his new family. In addition to all that, all of his previous debts and all of his previous obligations were eradicated as if they never existed. You see that? All of our sins were eradicated, were blotted out, were taken as far as the east is from a west from us when we were adopted. And for this transaction to become legally binding, it also required the presence of seven reputable witnesses who could testify if necessary to any challenge of the adoption after the father's death. 
You know, adoption in that day, as in this day, was no easy process. Adoptive parents would have to fill out a large amount of paperwork. It was almost like enlisting in the military, like I did. You have to read many books on adoption. If you're infertile, you have to go talk to a counselor to see if you're ready for adoption. Then you have a state-certified person come to your house to do a home study, which is to evaluate your home and also evaluate if you're going to be good parents. And the ironic thing is, sometimes this was done by a single person um, who despised marriage. Go figure. Finally, you were put on a waiting list and some wait for years for a child. Now, there may be some families who may have many children who take it for granted their ability to have children. I love hearing that. May take it for granted. But parents who struggle through the adoption process usually never take for granted the blessings of getting their children. Listen to this. In fact, in this process, the parents are active in their pursuit of the child while the child is mainly passive. And that is a beautiful picture. Because adoption is a beautiful picture of how God brings us into his family. How he loved us enough to pursue us. How he loved us enough to choose us. How he loved us enough to redeem us and adopt us into his family. Because you know what? At one point, we were enemies of God. We were members of Satan's household. We were constantly fearful of standing before God in judgment. But through adoption, the God who was once far off is now our loving Heavenly Father. And the spirit of adoption allows us now to cry out, Abba. Father. Look at the text again. Abba is an Aramaic term for father, and it expresses, uh, it expresses intimacy, tenderness, dependence, and a lack of fear or anxiety. Think about that. A lack of fear or anxiety. How many of you have ever seen a little three-year-old or four-year-old who has good parents, a good mom, good dad, have you ever seen them anxious about where the next meal's coming from? Or anxious if they're going to have a roof over their head? No, they're busy playing, right? They're, they're intuitively trusting in their parents. They're trusting in their parents. And that's what this word Abba shows dependence it shows a complete lack of fear or anxiety. And the modern English equivalent would be daddy or papa. You know, the picture is here of a little kid going, Daddy, Daddy, help me! And what's a dad going to do? Of course he's going to grab his kid and pick him up and hold him in his arms. That's, that's this picture 
of Abba. In fact, I love that in, in the verse, Jesus, when he was agonizing in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he took on our sins upon himself, he used this name. He used the name of endearment. He said to his father, Abba, Daddy, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Do you hear the dependence there? Do you hear the trust? He, Jesus was ready to face the cross, but he was totally trusting in his heavenly Father. You know, not, not only do, does the spirit of adoption allow us to have intimacy and dependence upon God, but it also gives us security. And that's the context of Romans 8. The whole context of Romans 8 is our security in Christ. And when we are adopted by Christ, we can never be unadopted. We can never be, as, as it says in Romans 8.35, we can never be separated from Christ's love. And that reminds me of the first part of this verse again. Look at, look at 15, the first part. It says, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, John Wesley used to argue that he could not accept the doctrine of election because it undermined the main support of holiness, fear of punishment, and hope of reward. Did you hear that? So he says the main motive for holiness is fear of punishment. Um, that's not true. You know, we love because He first loved us. Perfect love casts out all fear. One writer said this, if the motivation for holiness is fear of punishment and hope of reward, then this doctrine deed indeed undermines it. In fact, it marks this sort of guilt and reward holiness as a gospel-obstructing target which must be shattered. Paul instructed us, for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship by which we cry, Abba, Father. In other words, fear is what you had before you were a Christian. But he predestined us to be adopted as sons. And God's generosity is mocked if he can smell either fear or pride in our service to Him. Did you hear that? God's generosity is mocked if He can smell either fear or pride in our service to Him. How are you serving God? What is your motive for serving God? Keep your fingers here in, in uh, Romans 8. Turn with me to Luke chapter 18. Turn to the left, Luke 18, and here's a story of a, a person that is serving God out of um, pride, 
18.9, and it says this, And he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, what was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. What was this Pharisee doing? He was exalting himself because of his own self-righteousness. He was looking down on this tax collector. He was looking down on him because he thought of himself as better than the tax collector because of his own righteousness. He knew nothing of the righteousness of Christ. He knew nothing of the spirit of adoption which takes away fear and creates joy and produces humility. The spirit of slavery can be like a child who is in foster care. The child may strive to keep the household rules, but sometimes the motive behind the attempted obedience is fear. The child fears being punished. The child fears being re rejected. Or the child fears being sent to another foster home. But once the child is adopted, the security, usually, of the parent's love takes away the child's fear. And the child learns to trust the parents and obeys not out of fear, but out of love. And this is the spirit of adoption. Now there may be some Christians who still have this fear, craven fear of God, where they fear condemnation, where they fear rejection, where they fear loss. It kind of reminds me of a, a story of a lumberjack who was out in the forest doing what lumberjacks do, cutting down trees, right? And a snowstorm came, and he got lost, and he was trying to get back home, and he was freezing to death. And so he finally, night was coming, it was getting dark, he was knowing that he was going to die, he was getting cold, and he finally saw off in the distance his village, the lights from his village, and so he started running towards the village. And he knew the quickest way to get there was to cross a lake that was frozen. So he starts running across this lake, and he's about halfway across the lake, and he's, he starts hearing what he thinks is the ice cracking. So he drops to the ground, and he's spread eagle on the ice. And he starts shimmying 
his way across the ice. No, that's not shimmying. It's not dancing. He was shimmying, okay? And he's shimmying across the ice. And he is so filled with fear that he's sweating. Even though it's snowing, even though he's on ice, he's sweating because he's thinking in any, at any moment he's going to fall through the ice. He's filled with fear. And then a few minutes later, as he's going along very slowly, he hears a sled coming behind him. A horse-drawn sleigh, right? And a man's in it singing hymns to God. Praising God. Singing with great joy. And he flies right by this guy on the ice. Going home. To the same home. Right? Both are going to the same home. One is filled with joy. The other is filled with with fear. Which are you? Which are you? Now, if a Jewish person heard a Christian calling God their father, they might be offended. They might look down on, a, on the Christian for their irreverence. Because for the Jewish person, especially for a Pharisee, the transcendence of God was very important. Transcendence teaches how holy God is compared to man. How God is an independent being while we are dependent beings. How God transcends all of nature. And that's why the Jewish person would be unfamiliar with this idea of calling God his father. In fact, in the Old Testament, the word father is only used 14 times. And in none of those places is it used in a personal way where the Jewish person is calling God their father. And this gap between God and man got larger and larger and larger until the time of Christ. And then in Matthew 6, 9, Jesus said this, our Father, who art in heaven. You know, and, and Jesus' contemporaries may have been in shock to hear that. Or they may have been in shock to hear Hebrews 3.16, where it says that we can go into the presence of God, where we can find mercy and grace in our time of need. Can you imagine them thinking, wait a minute, only the high priest can go into the presence of God. And he can only go once a year into the Holy of Holies. And when he does go into the Holy of Holies, he must go carefully. He must go with bells on his robe. He must go with a rope tied around his ankle. You know why? If he were to faint or die... Or pass out, and the bell stopped ringing, they would drag him out of the Holy of Holies. Why? Because nobody's going to go in and get him. Because they would die. The spirit of adoption has allowed each one of us who names the name of Christ to have this close relationship with God to be able to go directly into his presence anytime. And to be able to sing 
and to celebrate the imminence of God the Father. I, we did this all before I got up here. I was ready to not come up here because that was glorious. I mean, the music, talking about God our Father. This should be celebrated. This should be celebrated. In closing, Michael Reagan years ago wrote a book. It was called Twice Adopted. And in that book, he talks about being adopted by the President of the United States, Ronald Reagan. And he also talks about being adopted by his Heavenly Father. And you know, can you imagine being adopted by the President of the United States? That would be a pretty cool thing, wouldn't it? You could walk into the Oval Office probably any time you wanted to. Um, sleep in the Lincoln bedroom, you know? Um, but can you imagine even greater, even much greater, being adopted by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? And that is what happened for each one of us who names the name of Christ. Because he loved us and adopted us and enabled us through the Spirit to call him Father. Even though we were flesh and he is spirit. Even though that we were sinful and he is holy. Even though we hated him, yet he loved us and adopted us to be part of his family. And because we have this spirit of adoption, we no longer have to serve God out of fear. We can serve him out of love, knowing that we are his and that he will never let us go. His love for his adopted children endures forever. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for what you have done for each one of us who are in Christ. Father, we thank you that you adopted us while we were yet your enemy. And you called us even while we were running from you. We thank you for calling us your sons and your daughters and for the grace that you have shown us through your mercy and through your grace of justification. Lord, help us to live out of love because you first loved us. Lord, we thank you for calling us to be your children. Father, we thank you for this day that we can come together and worship you. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.